On this week's NFE SD and Reality Check, we will talk with Nila Jacques, who's the director, executive director of Open Daylight Project, as the organization celebrates its second birthday. Comscope, thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Thanks for joining us on this week's NFBSD and Reality Check. I am your host, Dan Meyer, Editor-in-Chief here at RCR Wireless News. And today we are joined by Neela Jacques, who is the uh, Executive Director of the Open Daylight Project. Hey, Neela, thanks again for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, obviously, you guys have been around now for more than two years. Uh, quite a bit of progress you've made in the term, in terms of uh, kind of getting Open Daylight out there into the telecom space. Uh, maybe start with, maybe for those who don't know much about the organization, uh, maybe a little bit about, about what you guys are doing in, in, in the space in terms of kind of bringing uh, companies together to work uh, for NFV and SDN deployments here in the telecom space. Sure, absolutely. Um, the Open Daylight Project was actually created to solve a very specific problem. Um, I think pe people at this point are really familiar with the vision of SDN and NFV, really. Um, the idea of being able to program your networks, I think, is well understood and clearly uh, critical to, uh, to all telcos. However, the problem that we had is that adoption of SDN and NFV have been far slower than uh, people would have expected. And the primary reason is that you really have... It's like walking into an ice cream shop, right? You walk in and the person says, what flavor do you want? And if you've ever walked in to an ice cream shop with a seven-year-old, you know that he sits there and says, well, can I taste that one and that one and that one and that one and that one? But has a really hard time deciding on anyone. Um, and so- but That's a good reference though for uh, telecom operators being seven-year-olds, but keep going, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I have a five and a seven-year-old, so <laughs> I think of that a lot. Very good, okay. Um, but really, so the problem that Open Daylight was created to solve was that everybody was creating their own flavor of SDN and NFE. But unfortunately, um, there's enough concern around picking the wrong one that most people were actually sitting on the sideline. We see tons of pox out there, but we haven't really seen people moving towards deployment, or certainly we didn't two, three years ago. And so Open Daylight was created on the premise that you could get all the different members of the community, starting with all the different vendors out there, the academic community and the end users, together to build a platform that everybody could then build on. And the idea is that the SDN controller itself doesn't really do that much, right? It is in a sense like the air traffic control system. It's important, but really what you experience is flying on the plane and eating in the restaurant before, uh, beforehand. And so Open Daylight was created um, in some sense as an industry consortium um, and has attracted most of the major players in the industry. The first couple of years, and we're actually at a, at a nice transition point here, we're really about building the code base. Yeah. We're, in, we're fully open, open source project. We're housed within the Linux Foundation. We have a completely open approach um, in that there is no pay to play in any form. Um, however, obviously to fund the foundation, what we do is that we've been able to get support from a wide range of industry actors. And what's really exciting right now is we're making this transition from having focused solely on building a code base that people could build on top mm -hmm. to now really moving to having end users being much more involved, deploying it, bringing uh, bringing in input with our new advisory group. And there's a whole set of really exciting things around that. Interesting. I, mean, I know I've talked to a lot of people about kind of the evolution of SDN and NFE in terms of telecom space. And there's always been this talk about, you know, what needs to come first, what's most the most important part. But it does sound like that obviously SDN was an important part to have in place initially, because again, that is kind of that, like you said, kind of the, the traffic cop there. You know, obviously NFB and BNFs are going to be coming out here soon too, but you need to have kind of that layer involved that's able to kind of you know translate or at least uh, uh, keep control of what's happening out there because it does seem like this moves towards virtualization 
is going to open up a, 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 a whole new world really to telecom operators. And if you don't have, I guess, kind of that control layer in place, uh, it could I could seem to be very uh, you know uh, daunting for these companies who aren't used to uh, playing in this in this new software world. Right. Um, I mean, the way I'd put it is, if you replace a physical machine from a virtual machine and don't do anything different, uh, what have you really achieved? I mean, is it cheaper? Yeah, probably a little bit. Um, but really, the the reason that you want to go to a virtual machine from a physical machine is to be able to gain the agility. It's to be able to spin it up. It's to be able to uh, spin up multiple instances. It's to be able to chain them together to deliver them over the wire uh, in your CPE environment, right? So very quickly, if you ask somebody, why do you want to do NFE? very quickly they'll start saying, well, because I want a more agile network, what's required behind that is the ability to program the network. And so it, it's not that SDN and NFE are the same thing. SDN yeah. is a foundational technology that allows you to get what you're looking to get out of NFE. And it's why if you look at a project like the open platform for NFE, OPNFE, uh, I believe you were just recently at uh, TM Forum and had a chance to meet uh, my counterpart in, in that project. You know, what they're doing is taking Open Daylight and OpenStack and Open vSwitch, and those are really the three key components to be able to deliver a platform for NFE to uh, to the carriers of the world. Yeah, yeah, obviously, I agree. But yeah, like you said, yeah, I did meet with uh, Heather Kirksey over there in, in, in Nice, France, about what they've been doing, and and I, she was very complimentary about what Open Daylight's been able to do for them. So it does seem like yeah, obviously you guys are both out of the Linux Foundation, but again, it's a very symbiotic relationship where you got to have one for the other. Uh, and it seems like you guys are definitely hitting maybe some some critical mass here where you're able to actually push this stuff out. And obviously, like you guys have just recently uh, celebrated to your to your birthday, I guess. Uh, I think it's back in April, I believe. Uh, yeah. You know, as you look as you look back over the past two years working on this, I mean, what's been kind of you know what's been your view of how how this has evolved and and kind of what's been kind of the big changes or challenges you've seen uh, for you sure. guys in terms in terms of uh, evolving the, the, the specs here. Um. I mean, I think the the first biggest one from everyone in the industry is we have never seen something like open daylight in the networking industry. I mean, I'm going beyond carrier, um, whether you're talking about data center or the, the telco side. Um, if you look at open source, we've had open source projects being very successful in cloud, obviously in operating systems, uh, on platform side, but never really in the networking industry. Um, that, that, that's not to say that you haven't had collaboration, right? The networking industry probably has been further ahead in terms of collaboration than any other industry, but they've done it primarily through standard bodies, right? Whether you're looking at the IETF, whether you're looking at the MEF. And so I think that the, the shift towards an open source project has been frankly very uncomfortable for the industry. I mean, number one, there's a question of, wait, you want me to collaborate with my competitors and not just sit there and argue for my spec, but you actually want me to take my IP and give it to somebody else? Yes. Right. I, and so as an example, um, one of the funny things that I have to answer, and I have to answer both sides of it, um, obviously there's one very large player in the networking industry called Cisco. Yes. Um, and, you know, love them or hate them pretty much in, this, in the industry, everybody's uh, worked for them at some point. <laughs> and so one of the obvious questions at the beginning was, that I'd have to deal with is on one hand, people saying Cisco doesn't believe in open daylight. And so prove to me that they are actually serious and, and want to add value and be collaborative. Or on the other hand, I have a whole set of people going, oh, um, Cisco loves it so much that they're going to embrace it and there's no room for anybody else to do something. <laughs> I think this gets to the first challenge that we had was convincing everyone in the industry that what we were trying to do was possible. Most intelligent people in the world, if you sit down with an index card, can start writing a list of why open daylight could and should fail. Um, 
and you'll quickly run out of space and you'll have to, <laughs> you know, go grab another big stack of it. And so I think that, that first challenge is making people believe that, yes, collaboration is possible, um, that you can get companies and senior executives writing a check, and then you can get developers who go in and can put aside the fact that they work for Cisco or Red Hat or Juniper or Microsoft uh, or Ericsson and get them to actually work in a room together. And what's been really interesting is, number one, they built they build things really quite fast. We had our first release mm -hmm. uh, in, less, in less than a year. Um, mm -hmm. If you look at that first hydrogen release, we had 154 developers contribute to it. Um, we had something like 5,000, uh, five, yeah, 5,000, yeah, 5,000 lines of code initially. Sorry, 5,000 commits. Um, okay. About a million lines of code with the first release. <laughs> sorry, got a little. Uh, that's a pretty short uh, code there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but overall, that was really the, the first challenge was getting people in a room and getting, and getting things built. I think the other one, and this came out of people who have experience um, participating in standards bodies, is the first question is, wait a second, where are the users? And so if you do a standards body and you're trying to figure out, one of the first thing you do is you make sure that you have a bunch of users. Otherwise, uh, the vendors are going to go and say, well, here's what I want to build. And so you come into an open source project having never participated in open source and you look around and you go, wait, all I see are developers <laughs> and all of these developers work for vendors. Oh, this must be bad and evil. I, I, I feel much more comfortable back in a uh, standards body. And it takes realizing that open source is about source code. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I don't, know if you can, I don't know if you can see this. We give this to all of our developers after a, uh, a release. Um, this comes from the idea that code is the coin of the realm. Yeah, uh, hydrogen was that first release, and so, and so what you find is you're giving your first focus is to actually get everyone together and build code. Who do you get in the in the first year or two? You get uh, you end up getting developers, and it takes a while. You need to get a couple releases. If you're an end user, do you deploy the first release in production without any products based on it, without a without anybody's support? Absolutely not. So it takes a it takes a few revs. Yeah, yeah, and that's an interesting point. I mean, obviously, coming from you know, we kind of cover the telecom space more, mostly wireless as well. I mean, you're right. I mean, obviously, this industry comes from such a standards, uh, IP based. Everybody's got to have a piece of the action. It's very, you know, it's still multi-vendor, but there's still, uh, you know, technology is just so rigid uh, when it comes to deployments in the, in the telecom space. I mean, that seems to me to be the, such a huge challenge for you guys to convince, uh, to, to convince the telecom and the wireless guys to to accept this. I mean, I know some of the operators have been pretty for, forefront on this, AT and T and and, and uh, Telefonica and a lot of operators have definitely seemed to have embraced it, but it seems like there's still that challenge for you guys to, to get these guys who have, you know, for the past 30 sure. or 40 years have been such a rigid uh, way of doing things to kind of open up and be, and look at things differently. That seems like it's a huge, huge challenge yeah. for you to make that well, happen. Yeah, and let's, uh, I want to get to that. Just one last point yeah. on, I mean, if I look at that first two years, the first six months was about just convincing people to show up. The mm -hmm. next six months was about getting them to actually build something and get something out the door. And if you look at OPNFE, they're in the same way, right? I mean, the getting Arno out, which is their first release, was just a massive achievement. Will anybody use Arno as Arno? Who knows and who cares? It's amazing they actually got something out. And then, you know, the first release of any open source project is critical. And if you look at what happened with us, it's from release one to release two, we almost doubled on every metric. So, so the number of projects doubled. The mm -hmm. number of developers came just shy of 300 developers in that uh, in that second release, right? The amount of code that got written uh, almost doubled. And, you know, that's actually really good. Um, now then the question comes out as you get your, so we had our second release, Helium, six months yep. later. Um, 
now you've got something interesting. On one hand, you've got a code base that people can build products around. So question number one is, will people uh, build products and go to market? The second question is, will end users care and will end users get involved? And so I think you touched on that. I was so happy that we had a Hackfest about nine months ago, uh, maybe a year ago. And we invited all developers and suddenly these two people show up, a, a little Asian woman about Yay Tall shows up named Margaret Kiyosi, and she says, hi, I'm Margaret Kiyosi from AT&T, and I'm like, I know who you are, uh, <laughs> and this is Brian, um, and I thought they were going to sit in the back and listen, and what they did is they walked right in in these unconference, you've got a whole group of developers, and they came and said, here's what we're trying to achieve, here's what we want, we like this, we don't like this, we've been playing with it now, and it was amazing to see. Um, and what we've seen over the last now, yeah, I'd say six to nine months is a huge shift in the project. Yeah. Um, number one, we now have 15 to 20 products based on open daylight. You've got companies like Brocade going hard after the yeah. market. Yeah. You may be familiar with a company called Context Stream. Just got, uh, it was announced they were being bought by HP. Yep. They built a really interesting product, completely different from everybody else. They created a distributed system so that uh, that you can leverage using the Lisp, Lisp technology, um, which allows all of us to break the tether that we normally have with our home wireless base station. Yeah. Um, so very, very neat stuff that they've gone ahead and built. And then the other big shift for us um, has been this building out of the end user advisory group. Yeah. Um, so this is actually here, I made a, a big decision. Um, we knew we wanted an advisory group and the typical thing that is often done by other things like this, and you get a bunch of high titles. So you invite <laughs> SVP of this and SVP of that, and they get all, all in a room and they smile at each other and they pass papers that their teams have prepared. Um, and I took a little bit of a risk and I said, I'm gonna create an advisory group, but that's not what I want. What I want is the kinds of people like Margaret and Brian who show up, know what's going on in the network and can talk, can talk deeply. So people said, oh, that's great. Oh, I know those guys. Those are my standards guys. I'll send my standard guys. And I said, no, 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 that's not it either. I want people working on real networks. Yeah. And so what we got is a, a set of network engineers and architects coming from AT&T, Comcast, Cable Labs, Orange, Deutsche Telekom, Telefonica, um, recently China Mobile. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's on the telco side. We've got some non-telco folks. Yep. But what's been great is that what we've seen in the last year is almost every telco on the planet has open daylight uh, in their lab somewhere. Um, yeah. Guys are planning for the 5G revolution. They're working, obviously, on all these NFV pox. And as they look around to say, of all the code bases that are out there, which one has the best chance of really being a platform go, uh, going forward? Open daylight is the answer that, that they've gotten. And, um, and one last point I want to make on here is it's been interesting. There's sort of two big insights I've gotten out of the advisory group. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is for telcos, I think that there are four primary use cases that they all talk about. Um, the first is immediate and not sexy. The last is sexy, but not immediate. <laughs> We've got two in between. Um, so let me start. The first one. The first use case that I hear them talk about, uh, and they talk about it sheepishly, is I want a way to be able to look out, 
pull information from my network and understand what is the topology of my network? Yeah. How is it configured? And then I want to begin to be able to push out configuration changes. I want to begin that road towards automation because right now what I've been is stuck in a CLI centric vendor, vendor centric vendor locked in model. And so I go out and I buy some Cisco gear and I, my Cisco team manages the Cisco gear and I buy some Juniper gear and my Juniper team manages that. And maybe they get cross-trained a little bit, mm -hmm. but I've got all these silos. So how can I bring that in and really start managing and managing orchestration? orchestrating and automating my network and it may not be sexy it's probably not sdn but it's really important it's actually a great on-ramp to sdn sure sure yeah from that the other one and it can be in parallel or it can be in serial is actually starting to automate flows right so there's a difference between changing configuration and actually changing flows and so mm -hmm. the change Flows can come in. Something went down, or you know, I love the multi-layer controller one, right? I've got all the, I've got this optical uh, backbone. I, I obviously have my regular uh, Ethernet uh, TCP/IP stack, and mm -hmm. they're today two completely separate things. Why not see them end to end? Or if I think about the Comcast, of I want to be able to know how well a customer is going from their cable modem on one end uh, all the way on the other side um, to my uh, to my packet backbone. Yeah. And so I want to be able to, to see through my DMTS, all of that in one. And I want to be able to make changes if there's an issue. And so I think this is where we're getting into real SDN. I think yeah. the third one is NFV. Yes. Um, and certainly on NFV, I think that service chaining is happening. We know we need service chaining. Um, there is certainly a need, I think, on the uh, customer premises, so the CPE side. Um, yeah. There's an obvious one, especially as people are going from very large accounts to smaller accounts, trying to upsell and, and offer more things. Yeah. Um, the EPC side, I think people are talking about it. People are playing with it. Oh, that's a much tougher beast to be able yeah. to tackle. That's a tricky so I, one. I, know. I hear that talked about a lot. I'm always like, yeah, that's a tricky one for the for the telecom space. But yeah, it's, that's going to be tricky. It, it will. It just... Yeah. It, it's sensitive and the gains aren't as immediate and obvious. Sure. And I'd say then the fourth one, the fourth big one that they all want to do is move to a cloud infrastructure, right? I mean, there's the, and those are much more greenfield projects. And the truth is if we look in the OpenStack community, OpenStack still doesn't have a good network stack. Yeah. Um, Neutron, as we know, still has had challenges. You've got a few proprietary players who tackle some parts of it well, but not all of it. You've got a set of open source. Uh, I think we're the, the best, um, we're the we're the best long-term option here mm -hmm. and we're seeing the community really come around us this is why you're seeing opnfe focusing on us um but there's a lot of work to do there and part of it is outside of say walmart and large hadron collider you don't have um uh, you don't have a lot of people who have deployed openstack at scale rackspace has it's going in the right direction yeah. um, but it's going to take a while to to evolve so that's sort of the the four major use cases i'm hearing um from the telcos yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And like you mentioned, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, it's great to kind of see when I go to these events. Like again, it's just a TM Forum event. Uh, you know, it seems like right now a lot of the people involved in this are uh, people who are actually involved in like you know the developer side or or, or telecom operators like Margaret, who's really involved in pushing stuff out. And you hear them talk and 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 collaborate with each other. And it is kind of like it's it's not like a telecom type of thing. It's like these people do want to work together. They they are working towards an end goal. And it's great to hear that and see that kind of collaboration because uh, it seems like right now we're in the we're in the process where it is a lot of a lot of evolution and we're yeah. not quite to the point where the lawyers get involved and start throwing around the ip claims and things like that it seems like we're in that space right now where where everybody is on the same page and this right. it seems like that's helped advance you know both open daylight opnfv uh sdn at a, at a fairly rapid rate i mean again this is the technology that has been around for a while but in the telecom side it's still somewhat new but the evolution of it has been pretty amazing to watch 
Absolutely. And, you know, it, what, what you hear when you hear, I mean, go read articles um, and, or go see some of your interviews with the Telefonica and AT&T and Comcast. What they want more than anything is all of their suppliers to work with each other um, and to be more responsive to their needs. In fact, you know, Margaret uh, was at a show not too long ago and uh, she decided to present her view and AT&T's view of uh, how they were going to deploy SDN. And what she said is, you know, our first need is we need some level of cloud orchestration. We're going to build that on OpenStack. But below that on the network side, I want a common view. Yeah. I want something that is my single source of truth of my of my network. And for that, I need a controller. What does it need to do? Actually, it needs to be that centralized place that everything plugs into. Um, and so she calls that the global controller. Yeah. Um, and they're going to build it themselves. They are building it themselves. And they're building it on open daylight, they're using they're using other people to help them. And yeah. then the idea is, hey, if I have Contrail somewhere, maybe I deploy Onos somewhere else in my network, and maybe I've got some NSX somewhere in my network. There are a whole range of things that I that I may need, and each of those may have a controller, and that's okay as long as I can plug them all into that global controller layer. Yeah. And so what she said is, if you want uh, going forward as part of domain 2.0, if you want to work with AT&T, you're going to need to work with that global controller. And I'll say for us, it means you need to be able to collaborate within the uh, the open daylight community because that's the that's the heart of it. And we're seeing this over and over again, right? We heard Comcast get in and talk about how they're putting open daylight uh, in their environment. I just got an email from a, uh, a very large internet player in China, and he's sending a, a set of engineers over to the open daylight summit because they're planning to deploy open daylight or they want to deploy open daylight in their environment. It doesn't quite do everything he needs right now. Yeah. And so the, the, I think the big question for the telcos, um, and I think this is, you know, you're asking me about where do I see things going in the next three years? What are the next sure. challenge? Yeah. Telcos have to figure out how do you influence, how do you participate in an open source project? They know how to do a, vend a vendor relationship. You hire Accenture to help you write an RFP, you write a big <laughs> RFP, you send it out to 100 people, you select five. They also know how to go to the IETF and they know the limits of their power, right? But they know how to go do that. What they don't know yet is how do I deal in an open source project? Do I, do, I go, do I go in and tell them my requirements and they go build what I want? Do I affect them through my RFP process? Do I hire developers and send it to there? Do I build it myself and just consume? There's a whole set of questions there around. And I think that they're all figuring it out, right? And the answer isn't the same for AT&T as yeah. it is for Orange or as it is for SK Telecom, um, right? You got three very different companies with different models and yeah. they're all going to have to find their right way of doing it. Yeah, very interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, I, was gonna, I guess as a final wrap-up question, I was going to ask you what you thought maybe the challenges were for, for broader open daylight and, and SDN deployments across uh, telecom and more specifically the wireless space going forward. Obviously, that is, that's a big one, but, but it seems like, too, that there are a lot of uh, operators, maybe more wireless-centric operators, at least here domestically, you know, in T-Mobile or Sprint or someone like that, who are perhaps, at least from what it looks like, they're kind of maybe a little behind or maybe waiting for uh, a little more development in these fronts before they actually dive into it. Uh, I mean, is that still kind of, I guess, a challenge for you guys, just making sure that these guys are comfortable participating in what is yeah. to them uh, this new type of environment, a new, way to, a new way to work for them, really? Yes, but I'm going to take a slightly different tack than where okay. you're going on this, which is, you know, one of the interesting things I find is that with open source, people don't always tell you what it is that they're doing. So as I said, I know anecdotally from talking to folks that almost every telco has open day like in, inside. Uh, sure. Now, some of them like AT&T go up on stage and say, here's our plan and everybody can see it. 
And others, and I'll actually use a non-telco here, um, an article just came out in Network World about how CERN with the Large Hadron Collider has yeah. been using open daylight since our first release to deal with the 200 petabytes of data that they have to send out to Caltech, to Fermilab in Chicago uh, every month. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been building, and they—they're now moving on their third generation of a controller built uh, built on open daylight. And I had no idea. And I'd say the community, for the most part, had no idea. And so, you know, it's great, but we haven't had a chance to listen to their needs and requirements when they've run into issues to help them uh, solve that. And I'd say one of the things that I find within often carries is you may have three different efforts that are all using open daylight. Uh -huh. They may be working with open daylight, the code, they may be working with a vendor's uh, product based on open daylight, um, but they're not necessarily coordinating. Okay. Um, and so I think that this is, this is actually a real challenge from the telco perspective is, and I tell this to every telco, I believe that telcos need to build an open source office. Uh -huh. um, and we've seen, you know, some of the large vendors like HP and Cisco do this, but create a part, maybe it's in your office of the CTO, that is your open source office, who's, if you look at the job of someone running an open source foundation, my job is facilitation. Yeah, I think that within a large carrier like an AT&T, like an, like an Orange or a Telefonica, having one or two individuals whose job is to facilitate, to understand, to build knowledge around it, to say, hey, you know, you're buying context stream, you think you're buying a solution, but actually you're, built, you're buying a product based on open daylight. Um, we've got these three other groups and these two people are working within open day. Let's get us all together once a month, once a quarter to have yeah. that conversation and coordinate what we're doing. Um, the other big one is people who are, think, you know, their experience often is I don't talk about a vendor until it's deployed and working really well. Yes. I don't want to endorse somebody until it works. The challenge you get in an open source project is that's a recipe for failure mm. because if you don't tell anybody that you're using it, then people aren't going to invest the resources to make it go. The reason an AT&T and a Comcast go out and say, we're using OpenDale, we care about it, isn't that they think OpenDaylight is perfect. It's in fact that they think that OpenDaylight is imperfect. Mm -hmm. And by telling the community, hey, we want to use this and we have plans, what that does is it says to the community, hey, invest in this. I care about it. It'll give you an advantage when you're trying to sell your hardware, when you're trying to sell your applications, when you're trying to sell your consulting. And so by talking about it and being engaged, this is actually providing the fuel that makes the fire bigger for you to be able to cook your hot dogs. Yeah, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great point. You're right. The AT&T has been very vocal with the Domain 2.0 coming out saying, hey, this is what we're looking to do. Here's our partners. Get, them, get on board with us. You know, markets out there all the time talking about this. So you're right. That does seem like the way to go. I know more recently here, domestically, I know Verizon kind of finally came out vocally about what their SDN plans are as well too. So yeah, it is a matter of getting these people involved and, and being vocal about it and then kind of getting, getting everybody excited about this and, and moving it forward. That's, a, that's, that's yeah. an interesting part to kind of watch. About. The last thing I will say is I think that there are two kinds of people in the world when you look at open source projects. Okay. There are the people who see all of the challenges uh -huh. and therefore come to the conclusion and go, if it doesn't change, if those things don't get fixed, it's going to fail. And they remember that last part, it's going to fail. And there are other people who see all the challenges and go, wow, if those things don't get fixed, it's going to fail and focus on the, if it doesn't get fixed and look around about how they can fix it or how they can find other people with whom to fix it. Yeah. And that Delta tells you almost everything you need to know um, about the actor, whether they're an end user on the telco side or a vendor, their approach, when you ask them about any open source, I don't care what it is, listen for which of those two sides they tend to take. 
Interesting, interesting. Well, I know as a reporter, I tend to be a cynic in a lot of things. So, but I will try to be a little more positive when it comes to this stuff because maybe it's a it's it's the best part about this. But uh, but hey, well, Neil, we definitely think uh, appreciate the insight on this. Obviously, this is a subject that uh, again you guys have been involved with for so long. Again, more than two years now. Uh, SDN is definitely an evolving aspect, and FB is getting a lot more attention now too. But we definitely appreciate uh, the great insight on that, and good to catch up on Open Daylight, which you guys have been up to. So we appreciate the time on that today. Thanks so much. Ah, good catching up with you, Dan. I always enjoy doing these. Yeah, it sounds good. Well, again, hey, everyone, thanks for checking out on this week's NFESD and Reality Check. And be sure to check us out next week for another new episode of the show. And again, thanks for watching. NFVSDN Reality Check with Dan Meyer is a production of RCR-TV. To suggest show topics or to reach Dan, you can find him on email, dmeyer at rcrwireless.com and on Twitter at Meyer underscore Dan. For more Dan, news on NFVSDN and everything wireless, find your way over to rcrwireless.com.